0: I'm Maserati E. And I'm Chris Redlitz.
1: This is the Last Mile Radio.
0: And we're paving the road to success. No lie. I've been on a mission for a while. Finally, I see the last mile. I've been on a mission for a while. Finally, I see the last mile. Hey, hey. paving a road, hey. road hey. To, success. to success. I'm paving a road. Hey.
1: To be my best. I'm the road. Yo, success. Maserati E. Yes, sir. What up, Chris? We are here in New York City. Man. In the Sirius XM Studios. Yes. Launching the Last Mile Radio.
0: Yes, yes. I'm so excited to launch this show. Hopefully, we can inform and inspire people when they hear the stories of transformation from justice-involved people and people in sports, entertainment, business, and politics who have become change agents in criminal justice reform.
1: We're definitely going to do that. We have some great guests. We have some stories of transformation. Oh yeah, that will blow people away. And there's no better way to launch this show than with a legend, absolutely, an icon. A radio Hall of Famer. Hometown hero. Hometown hero from Oakland. Absolutely. And a member, he's already a member of the TLM family, right? Absolutely. The one and only Sway Calloway.
2: It's going down. Hey, 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 hey,
1: <laughs> What's up, brother? Uh, That's that
2: my cue? That's your
1: cue. That's your cue. You're headed? on now.
2: I didn't hear anything about my physique. I didn't hear anything <laughs> about handsome, <laughs> my sense of humor. None of that, Chris. <laughs> We talked about this. We I'm was, so sorry. Will you intro me to certain things that's in my
1: writer? I didn't want to bring sort of, you know, personal things into this, really. Okay, that's all right. Dude. I know we're family. That's okay, man. That's yeah. good. By the way, you know, we talked about sort of your adoption into the family. That We're still working on that.
2: Okay. Okay,
1: yeah. Uh, Maserati
2: E, by the way, it's a pleasure to meet you in person. Absolutely. We spoke on the phone once, and we do have that soil kindred to our our connection right Absolutely. so we're both from Oakland and um uh, seen a lot of things as we grew up and you know as you get to know Chris and Bev and, and Liz and everybody around you um out of all three of them, Chris is going to make you a lot of promises. You got to stay on them and make sure they come through. All right. The other two are good. So I was supposed to get, I was supposed to be adopted, move in, the whole nine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm
1: still out here in these streets. So, well, <laughs> man. Hey, uh, hopefully some of this stuff comes true eventually. I don't know. But one thing I didn't mention also Yes. MC Hammer's on her board. You're on our board of The Last Mile. Mm -hmm. And we probably are the only nonprofit who has two board members who have been on Super Bowl commercials. (laughs) Man.
2: (laughs) Yeah, man. That's that's what The Last Mile—when I first became a board member of The Last Mile, I didn't have any Super Bowl credits. Um, on my IMDB <laughs> oh, and man. since I became a member of The Last Mile I've done my first Super Bowl commercial the sky's the limit from here
0: <laughs> <laughs> as well deserved though bro as, as well, well deserved, deserved thank you. Sure. man.
2: I thank you man but uh, yeah we did a Super Bowl Heather B and I uh, from our Swain in the Morning show got a, a Super Bowl commercial with um, Jack Harlow Missy Elliott Elton John yep, you man. know and all these iconic figures and they fit us in, in on it. So Heather B was the first <laughs> on the first season of Real World. So she's the first African-American reality star, and, and yeah. I'm just me. So they, <laughs> I, so they fit well, us in. Hell I, of a person I, to be. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, looked, show. <laughs> I
1: looked at Ad Age, how they rated them, and yours was rated one of the top commercials, by the way. Was it really? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay, by cool. Ad- Big
0: dog status. Okay. Hell Big up. dog status. <laughs> they only
1: paid me once, though, but that's
2: good, that's good to know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so let's dial it back a little bit. Okay. Um, we met a while ago. Mm-hmm. We had this idea that – the sort of nugget of an idea of doing a documentary show. Mm-hmm. And we were meeting with Scott Greenstein, mm-hmm. president of XM, And in the middle of the conversation, he said, stop the presses. You guys need to meet Sway. This is true. Yeah. Um, Scott's son,
2: David, had – done some research I don't know why what he was up to but he found the last mile and he found uh, the program and some of the work you guys have been doing and told his dad and um, I, I guess from that moment, uh, everybody got in touch. You know, Scott had kind of peppered me with it a little bit. And initially, I'll be honest with you, I was a little skeptical, you know, because I take my people seriously. You know what I mean? And I know a lot of my folks were incarcerated behind bars. And I'm always uh, wondering what people's motives are when they go into um, these prison systems and, um, and and impact their programs. And we sat and met. If you recall, the first time we met, I think it was in Scott's office. It was, yeah. Yeah. We had that meeting and I, I was asking a lot of questions like, well, what is this about and who are you and how does this benefit the community and all of these things? And um, I'll tell you this, you know, after speaking with you and uh, Bev and Scott, I really found that this would be a very viable program that could really transform and change lives if people committed themselves and devoted themselves to what it is the last mile have been trying to do. And what makes it so excellent is that it equips people with the type of skills and assets that it would require to transition from being incarcerated into the free world, so to speak, with something to offer uh, that will be evergreen, you know, learning how to code is something that could benefit someone for the, we see how AI is developing at such a rapid rate right now, it's faster right. than we could think about it on a day-to-day basis. And so someone who has that ability to know how to code uh, will always have job security. And what we talked about is the recidivism rate of those who come through the last mile is nil, is zero recidivism rate. And that's what I think these systems are supposed to do. You know, that's what true rehabilitation is, in my opinion. That's what true evolution is. And it shows that if you give people the proper tools that they need and the equipment, um, no matter what the environment, they can excel, right? And so Maserati, E and I grew up in Oakland, California, and um, that environment offers a bunch of different looks you know you could grow up on the same block and have it'd be the tell of two cities you know one dude could grow up on the block and you know he might be going to roosevelt junior high he might transfer to oakland high might go to mary college and transfer to san francisco state find a trade or something and go live a whole nother life than the other guy who lives two two houses down from him might got caught up in some scam credit card scam some car scam or uh, selling some shit illegal or whatever it may be and get caught up that way it might just be just the pressure of just being in an oppressed environment on a hot day (laughs) you know might cause some type of behavior issues that might cause that same person who lived on the same block as somebody out excelling in society The next person you'll be out not excelling in society and you land yourself in places like San Quentin. And so the last mile um, after hearing what the goals were uh, with you, Chris and Bev, I I knew it was something I really wanted to be a part of, you know, uh, because it makes no sense for me to be in this position if I can't influence people in a
0: good way. Absolutely, absolutely. And you tuned in to the Last Mile Radio right here on Sirius XM. We chopping it up with the big dogs. Sway Calloway is going Hello. down. And speaking of Oakland, man, I, I gotta let you know, brother, the impact that you had on me, bro, as well as I know a bunch of people growing up in the town. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You really was an example of what's possible when you apply yourself and can overcome these odds. Like you said, man, growing up in an oppressed environment like many of the hoods in Oakland, you feel what I'm saying? A lot of people become limited in their beliefs of what's possible, what's What we capable of accomplishing, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So seeing you from an early age, like on Swaying Tech to you feel me MTV being in movies and all these other things yeah. bruh like that that impacted me heavily you feel me all the way to like present day sway in the morning you know mm-hmm. what I mean having your own show your own platform like trailblazing you feel what I'm saying Thank like you, that brother. heavily impacted me bruh like so serious as well as a bunch of people around me that's close and near and dear to my heart so I definitely gotta take this time bruh to give you your flowers and commend come you on, on man. that man e, for come real. on reach Absolutely. across the table baby give me for that sure.
2: open handshake Absolutely. man come on man I appreciate that. It's gratifying because we people like us, we keep our head in the in the work. We don't look up, we don't hear the accolades. I don't see them, right. Um, and I don't ask for them. So when I receive them, I'm very grateful because if I'm impacting you and, and people in your peer group in that way, absolutely, then I'm a success at what I've been trying to do. It ain't the money, it ain't the celebrity or any of that. You a- know,
0: another thing I gotta say too, man. How you been loyal To the soil You always mm-hmm. put on For the town I I remember seeing you With Mr. Fab Like on my black report And all that type oh, of stuff yeah. You feel like At the height of the Hyphy movement And all that You yeah. know what I mean And really Giving Oakland to the world You know yeah. what I mean You know like I know bro Like the town Is, is a place like no other From very diverse culture You mm-hmm. feel what I'm saying mm-hmm. So to really get that To the world And, and, and show that Because I'm pretty sure A lot of people That's not from where we from Don't really have An understanding of the, uh, the real You feel what I'm saying mm-hmm. a lot, What gets sensationalized Majority of the time Is just a bunch of the bad stuff But like you said we come from activism we come from rich culture for mm-hmm. real for real we come from real unified communities and uplifting stuff beyond just you know we get sensationalized and yeah. i feel like that's something that you brought to the world for real for real. so for, from me and i'm pretty sure i can speak for a lot of others man thank you real talk where you get this
1: guy from man
2: <laughs> what you do did you give him a script no <laughs> no nah. nah. you nah. said
1: you <laughs> said look you said you never got flowers we're just bringing the flowers oh, all day okay, to you okay, flowers, right, okay. <laughs> no i want i want to i want to uh go on to this idea of putting a microscope because you did it for your city. Mm-hmm. But what you did for us when you first went in San Quentin and put a microscope on mm-hmm. the the population there. Mm-hmm. And we had a conversation before that, right? And, you know, uh, going into San Quentin is a bit of a daunting experience. Yeah. Um, and then diving deep and, and actually peeling away the onion a little bit to hear personal stories. yeah, That was something that was really kind of amazing Mm -hmm. and it really resonated with people so we did a documentary in 2017 and uh you were sort of the one that led that and did those interviews and it was pretty amazing I was convicted of second-degree murder. Uh, I'm serving a 16 to life sentence for murder. The
2: United States, it's 5% of the world's population and 25% of the world's prison population. At some point in time, they will be released back into society.
1: Who do you want them to be?
2: A prison program called The Last Mile is changing lives through technology, returning people to society not only with coding and business skills, but hope for a renewed life. These are their stories. Does that bring back some memories? Yes, that brings back a lot of memories. I I remember working with Liz, our producer.
1: You yes, know. The, th- the fabulous Liz Aiello. Yes. Shout out,
2: Liz. And uh, when, you, when you talk about those interviews we did, uh, it was a lot of her guidance, her giving me information um, and pointing me in the right direction and even doing those VOs that I'm listening back at. You know, um, that experience was life-altering. It was, you know, it was a very... Humbling experience going into San Quentin. Uh, One of my favorite parts, just a couple favorite parts of it. uh, I remember we went into a room where you were addressing a class. I believe of inmates who were either were in the last mile, wanted to be in the last mile. And one of the POs happened to be my ex-girlfriend's father. Yep. I remember. I remember I almost married his daughter and he was standing right there. And I was (laughs) like, wow. But what I was, you know, looking at um, the fellas that were in the class or wanted to, you know, hear and learn. um, I thought that was very powerful, you know, because that's, part of pulling back the uh the stereotypes of who's actually behind bars who's actually incarcerated and what behavior patterns are like i always thought you know the way hollywood portrays uh, what it's like being behind bars can be a little excessive at times. i'm not saying there aren't things that happen there isn't dangerous moments obviously that goes without saying but that's not all it is right right and so uh i recall on I want to say career day demo day demo day where people were pitching their business plans to the startup companies and the different execs that were in the room. I remember it being a packed room and being really proud of these guys that came up with these concepts and these ideas. I mean, I can only imagine there were people in the program that really wasn't literate at the time. That's right. And they learned how to read and write um, through the last mile as well as code. And so You know, all of these things were happening all at once. And the other thing that was really um, kind of alarmed, well, it kind of, you know, made me kind of step back is going through the yard, when we walked through the yard, the prison yard, and seeing the segregation um, with the different ethnic groups. You know, the white folks are in that corner, the Asian folks in this corner, the black folks in this corner, the Latin folks are in this corner. I thought that was interesting. I, I thought it perpetuated the division thats the problem that we have in our overall society. Uh, I remember being told we can't really walk the yard, but walking that yard, we they showed us a lot of love. Yeah. You know, people really love you, yeah, definitely. you know, for coming in and what you're doing. they know you and Bev care. They've seen you in there. And then there was people in there that I saw, you know. But I think the thing that really kind of uh, made it um, very eye opening is the honesty sitting down with students and them speaking about their crimes, you know, and having to call their victims out by their real names Hmm. can't be a pronoun can't be you know anything other than you have to you have to face your crime talk it out and then some of those crimes were pretty heinous and um sitting down next to a person who seems really calm by nature and really regretful what they did and then hearing them talk about their crime lets you know the power of a movement called the last mile People don't talk about their crimes. They definitely don't identify the victims. And so that kind of growth, that kind of evolution, not just learning how to code, but just learning how, learning yourself and evolving as a human being is something
1: that I think the last mile has been a great catalyst to. So what I want to say also is that standing there with you, you were doing the interviews with these guys, and I knew all of them, knew all of them for a while. Mm -hmm. And what you were able to do was dig a, a little bit deeper and get them to become even more transparent. Mm-hmm. It was amazing to watch. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just a gift you have, but you instilled confidence in them. Many of them know who knew who you were yeah. and followed you. But to hear those stories, and we're going to put those on. Uh, you know, they are available on the SiriusXM app. Okay. Um, we're also going to put them on the thelastmileradio dot org site, mm-hmm. so people can go back and listen to some of those. But just the fact that they were able to be as transparent as they were with you, mm-hmm. and you really felt it. I felt it.
2: Um, I felt it. I think it's kind of like what Maserati E is saying, and and if you grow up watching somebody on on MTV doing MTV News. I think they grew to trust me. Yep. You know what I mean? I so, totally do. Yeah. So when you see me on MTV news, hey, I got what up, world. This is Sway, I got your news. Oh Sway's Okay, let's see what it is. He ain't gonna put no two on the ten. He ain't right. it ain't gonna be yep. salacious. He gonna yep. really just tell it straightforward what it is. And so I think that trust opened these human beings up to the idea of Speaking their hearts honestly understanding that they made some bad t- decisions and choices in life but they don't want to be defined by it and here you got somebody allowing them to open up tell their story with no judgment yeah last mile is no judgment yeah
1: absolutely. we,
2: we want to find out how you got there and we want to find out how you evolved how you elevated from there so those who are tuned in watching or listening can take cue and it's something they can relate to you know. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. It's getting real. It's getting real. We got the big dog in the building, man. Sway Calloway, hometown hero for real, for real. We gotta go pay some bills, but we will be back shortly right here on the Last Mile Radio on Sirius Stay tuned. Yes, and we are back. We back right here on the Last Mile Radio on Sirius XM. Chopping it up with the big dog. One of my hometown heroes, man. Sway Calloway in the on, building. Come on. It's going down.
1: So, Sway, we, we we took to the break. We were talking about the documentary and your experience in San Quentin. Okay. Okay. Um, you know, Maserati E, and the two of us are doing the show as co-hosts. Okay, I like the I like the pe- combination. You, you like the combination? It works, it works it's a for me. Mix think? It works. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I like his
2: energy, and then I'm trying to figure out what I like about
0: him. <laughs> I mean, it's hard because what's not to like, right? Yeah, <laughs> a very likable guy.
1: Chris. <laughs> so, what I really want to do is mm-hmm. is let our audience um, sort of get peek in, like you did with the folks inside. You know, um, E spent nine years behind bars, uh, last couple in San Quentin, and maybe just delve a little deeper so people understand his story, too.
2: Yeah, I, you know, Maserati E, um, you were, what, 17 when you first went in, right? 17, Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, to who were you prior to that, uh, prior to your conviction?
0: I definitely was a completely different person for okay. several reasons. Um, I had a very, very distorted belief system my set of values was definitely different. I didn't feel like I had power. I didn't feel like I had value. Mm -hmm. And the people that influenced me And and my ideology and perspective Of what like power and love and respect Was again was just completely distorted So and and it didn't even come from Like a lack of love I grew up in a very loving home Like my mom I I would say was overly loving Well what was
2: the makeup of your house Your household you had siblings or parents
0: Absolutely so I I grew up with a single Mother and my sister was born When I was like 8 so it's a pretty big Age gap there you know what I mean which uh, Made me pick up a lot of responsibility And stuff too Um, but I I don't Know it's just like really my perception of myself Like, I I really needed, I guess, acceptance more from my peers. Like, I was always different. And what I mean by that is, you know, growing up where we from, like, most people don't got expansive vocabularies. Uh It's not necessarily cool to be a geek and all this type of stuff. So I wore a mask a lot. You know what I mean? Uh Trying to fit in and stuff. And when those type of things did get exposed, I would react to that in violence. Because in my mind, that was where the power was. The one that had the gun, the one that had all the females, the cars, and the money, that was, to to me, that was power. Uh So that's what I wanted to emulate. So. I started getting in the streets, you know what I mean? And unfortunately, I was influenced the people around me in very negative ways because I was compensating for my lack of power that I felt, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? And, and the lack of acceptance and things like that. So, like, I didn't feel like I was seen. I didn't feel like I had a voice. But with this gun, you're going to see me. You're going to feel me. Mm-hmm. You feel what I'm saying? And that just definitely brought me down the wrong, like, rabbit hole. I went deep into that. Did anybody at this time, did anybody
2: teach you about or talk to you about consequence?
0: Absolutely. I just didn't care enough. I I didn't care about myself enough, nor the consequences are the people around me enough to want to change. And and let me give you an example, right? This is how distorted my belief system was. I I used to feel like I didn't have positive role models. And I used to feel like I didn't see a, a successful entrepreneur when my grandmother literally my entire life never worked for anybody. Uh-huh. She's been a successful entrepreneur my entire life but my I was so far gone. I couldn't even see that as success. yeah You know what I mean? I couldn't even see that as as living the dream for real for real. And yeah, I I felt like I had to get it on my own. I wanted to grow up so fast. You know what I mean? And eventually that that led me unfortunately to committing a robbery where where I shot a man.
2: Yeah, I'm, I I want to get to that robbery. I, I like to talk about the things that lead up to the robbery. Like mm-hmm. what what What's the mindset that makes a person feel like that that's okay, that I'm going to get away with this, and then things are going to be happily ever after? Like, what was the mindset? Uh,
0: unfortunately, that that wasn't my first crime that I committed. Okay. I, I did get away with a lot, and that definitely developed me to become a little more callous when it came to consequence mm-hmm. um, and, and, and not really care. But I was so far gone. I remember me and my brother, we, we was planning on robbing a bank. And we thought about it, like, if we get caught, we only going to do, like, 15 years. We'll get out when we're 30. Like, Damn. that's how so far we was going. So it wasn't that I didn't acknowledge consequences. It wasn't that I wasn't thinking about it. And I knew it was wrong. I'm not going to sit here and say, like, I, I thought it was okay or anything like that. I just didn't care enough. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? So that that's the things that I feel completely, like, exacerbated that belief system even more. Uh-huh. Um, so, like, doing stuff and then getting away, I, I started to feel, like, untouchable. It's a, a little invincible. Right. Why, why do you like, why didn't you care? Did you not care if you got hit? Did you not care if you got shot? I definitely didn't. I think a lot of it has to do with self-love. Again, I didn't see the value of myself because I was projecting that on others. I needed to see that from other people. I needed other okay. people you outside need validation. of validation. Right. Outside uh-huh. of just my family, though. Again, I grew up in a very loving household. Uh, Tight knit family So it was a lot of love there But I felt like That proximity factor Mm -hmm. Didn't It kind of diluted The impact Mm -hmm. You know what I mean Since this is Something that I grew up with And this was the norm It wasn't the norm For my peer group To do that though You know what I mean Mm -hmm. So That's for me, what I needed at that time. And the only way I was receiving that, which was completely false, by the way. That was false love. 100%. Yeah. And and, and false respect. That was fear. You know what I mean? That wasn't respect. You feel what I'm saying? So the only way I felt I was receiving that was by acting out in these type of ways, which was really distancing myself more and more from my core self and my core beliefs. Well, my core self, should I say. My authentic self. Your authentic self,
2: which we see now shining bright like a diamond. Were there any crimes that you felt Regretful about A lot of them Yeah
0: A lot of them And that's why I say It was really distant From my authentic self Because I, I did have A lot of remorse But unfortunately It got to a point Where I became so callous That I didn't you know what I mean? like So when was it,
2: the callus just a mechanism to numb you so you didn't have to deal with what you truly was feeling at the core? Absolutely. Yeah,
0: absolutely. It, it, it's real when they say hurt people, hurt people. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I was hurting for various reasons outside of just not feeling accepted and feeling valued. Like I, I've been dealing with death for a long period of time and the way that that affected me just made me not care it Uh it made me kind of not want to be here so like i I would do a bunch of careless stuff again knowing what the consequences could potentially be but not caring Uh you know what i mean because at the end of the day i was really hurting so your peer group became your role model
2: uh what role does society play you know just being a young black man growing up in oakland how how you know how did that affect the decisions you made?
0: I, I would definitely say it, it, it conditioned me to a huge extent. Again, uh-huh. it, it made me develop the ideologies of what success and what power looked like, right? Yeah. And that really just came again from the validation of others. And, and the reason why I keep bringing that up because these other people that I was looking up to had that validation from everybody else. They was popping, you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. So like in high school, and then I always was in a, like a much older crowd and stuff like that. Like the people that I was messing with was popping, you know what I mean? I mean, mm-hmm. everybody respected them, showed them love and all these type of things. So that's what I wanted. So I seen why they did that. But again, I thought it was respect. But in actuality, it was, it was fear. Fair. You know what I mean? People yeah. feared these people. So like they was faking. You yeah. know what I mean? Brown nosing, kissing yeah. ass, they doing all this type of stuff. They good terms with them. Exactly. Because yeah. they, they were scared of what could possibly happen if they upset them. But for me, I thought that that was respect. I thought that that was love. I thought that's what I wanted. You know what I uh-huh. mean? But in actuality, after doing all that type of stuff and now... Seeing that that's not the way now, seeing for sure that's not who I am. You know what I mean? Like, it it was only distancing me more and more from my authentic, true self. Uh, Let's talk about the day you
2: you committed the crime that landed you in jail, Mm -hmm. right? The one that you actually got caught from.
0: When you woke up that morning, what was was your thought process? So, from that, literally from the moment I woke up, it was already a possibility. I was going to jail. Um, Unfortunately, I... Committed a robbery literally the day before for the gun that I used in my crime. So, so you
2: robbed somebody
0: of a gun for the gun you used in your crime. Literally. So what did you rob that person with? Nothing. So we we backdoed him. It, it was me and my brother, and we we did some scandalous stuff and backdoed him and uh, told him told this individual that we needed to use it. You know what I mean? And um from there we never gave it back, and he knew it wasn't coming back. Mm-hmm. Um so. Here it is, I'm 17 with a new gun. Already had a bunch of guns, but now I got a new gun, so now I got to use it. I was mm-hmm. never the type to just pull it. I always felt like if I pull a gun out, like, I got to use it. Like, mm-hmm. I'm never the type to just brandish it shit or anything like that, which is ridiculous, by the way. That's stupid as hell, but that's where my mind was. So now that I got this new gun, it's like, oh, I got to go use this. I'm going to go do as many robberies as I can. It, it was crazy. I robbed somebody for some weed and had weed on me from another robbery. No exaggeration. Literally, at this point, just doing it for the thrills. Yeah, you just yeah, you're
2: not even profiting from the from these robberies. It's just it's it was that- for the
0: thrills. Unfortunately, it, it, it really was to compensate again, for feeling powerless. Yeah, like I I used to feel like I was more powerful by making somebody feel weak. Mm-hmm. And in my opinion, now that's definitely not power. It's the but opposite, then, right? Absolutely, but uh- then that's that's what I thought it was. So that's how it ended up going. So you um. You knew the person you were going to rob, or you selected the person? Complete stranger. So, uh, unfortunately, had this gun, went to school, and on the way back from school, me and my brother, Kevin Moore, rest in peace, we were at the mall. And we were about to get on the bus, and I'm literally just waiting for any opportunity that I see. If I see something that I want or see something as an opportunity, I was going to go get it. So we at the mall, and some people pulled up on us and was like, hey, y'all need some grapes, y'all need some tree, whoop, whoop. You fit Mind you, Like I said, I already had weed in my pocket. Mm-hmm. I had about a quarter. And the weed that I had was better than the weed that they had that I was robbing them for, <laughs> which is ridiculous.
2: You could tell on site.
0: Literally. <laughs> so I'm like, we at the mall, and— even though it was dumb as hell, I'm I'm thinking I'm being smart. I'm looking around, I'm seeing all these cameras. I'm like, maybe we shouldn't do this here. It was a park around the corner. And I'm like, um, yeah, let's let's go around the corner. My brother, he told me like, bro, you tripping, I'm not going with you, you tripping. And he didn't go with me. He knew what you were gonna do? Yeah. Mm-hmm. He like, bro, you tripping, I'm not going with you. Like, you stupid. He told me straight up. And I didn't care. I'm like, so I, I ain't tripping, I'm mobbing. That's what I t- I was verbatim when I told him, all right, I don't care, I'm mobbing. And we pushed off. And it was me and um, two other individuals. I was the youngest one, again, 17. Um, One was 19, one was 20. And um, when we got to the park, before we went to the park, uh, one of the people that I was with, we grew up in the same area. He was was from 71st. Um, And he like, little bro, let me see it. So I I passed it to him. And I'm playing playing the role. I'm like, let's make sure we got our money right real quick. So I passed him the thing. And when we get to the park or whatever, I'm waiting on him to whip out. So we sitting there, like, waiting for hella long. I'm like, let me see when he put a bag in my hand. I'm like, oh, this is cool. I'm looking at my boy like, what is you waiting on? Yeah. But mind you, in this park, it's about 3 o'clock. It's about 3 p.m. It's a fully functioning park. It's literally kids getting pushed on the swings. I remember soccer practice, baseball practice. Um, the, the Across the street is the mall. So you got a bus stop. Full, full of people So no wonder He wasn't trying to do that. And he was smart yeah. Not scared but smart You know what I mean So he he kind of froze up and, and I got this bag in my hand I'm like that's cool I'm like let me see another one The dude put another one in my hand So mm-hmm. we just sitting there And I'm still waiting on him And he like um, Like what, what's up I'm like let me see one more He like bro let me see some money so I'm like, all right, it's good. So then I pull a dude to the side again, like, bro, what is you waiting on? And he like, so how you want to do this? Like, how you want? I'm like, bro, what you mean? How you want to do this, bro? Whip out? Are we finna take this? Like, period. Yeah. So he he he. We go back and he does, but he he wasn't like aggressive or anything like that. He kind of just like showed it and was like, y'all know what time it is. Like that's exactly how he did it. And dude took off running, so he left, and it was two of them. And uh, one dude left, and he left his friend. So now we kind of like got him. And um, I remember he started screaming, and he telling his friend to come back. And at this point, we like quite literally in the middle of the street. So it's a fully functioning park on one side of the street, and it's the mall on the other side of the street. About 3 p.m. broad daylight, and um, he 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 left. So now we with him, and now I feel like just completely disrespected. Like I pulled this gun out on you, and you're not gonna cooperate. You must not think I'm gonna do something again. Mm-hmm. Dealing with these power issues, mm-hmm. so now I feel like you disrespecting my power, my authority. So I snatched the gun from the dude from from who I was with, and um, I, I pointed it at the man's face and, and started pulling the trigger. But fortunately for the both of us, the gun was on safety. Wow! And he got a at, chance to run. Absolutely. Oh. At, at that point in time, I never had any gun of mine on safety ever. It's always one in the head, which means one is in the chamber, and. Um, yeah, it's ready to go. So I'm thinking at this point I'm, I'm finna murder this man, unfortunately. But I didn't. So I'm sitting here shocked. He take off running, and I look and I see it's on safety. So I flipped it off safety, and then I kind of like chase him down and fire a shot. I miss, so I stop, and then I, I ended up hitting him in um, the button in the leg. And then I run over there. I get on top of him and I start like trying to trying to shoot him, but it was no more bullets left in the clip. Fortunately for the both of us, um, then I take off running. And I'm so psyched out. I remember while I'm running, I was laughing because this man was a heavy set dude and it was much, much bigger than me. And this was a small caliber gun. It was only mm-hmm. like a 32. Um and, and the way that he screamed and went down, like he fell like very slow. And I, I'm so twisted at this time in life. I thought that was amusing. So I remember running back and laughing. And um the two people I was with, they like, like, did you hit him? Did you hit him? I'm like, Yeah. So now we're trying to figure out where we're going to go. So we just running. and I'm like, we need to split up. And they like, I don't know where I'm going. I'm like, I don't know where I'm
1: going. Like, mm-hmm.
0: So I, I remember hiding um, the gun in some bushes. And now we just running. And I'm just trying to split up with them again. They following me. So I remember having like a jacket. I had on like two sweaters and a do-rag and a hat. And I remember just going back and forth across the streets, just hiding like clothing items. So I go to this street and then cross over here. And I just hit like the wrong street. It was these two big center block walls. And I couldn't climb it. And um, now I'm starting to hear the sirens and everything. And um, I remember seeing a a, a police car drive by one of the streets we was on. And then you just hear him hit the brakes and you hear him turn around. And I remember asking one of the dudes I was with because he was looking back that way. I didn't want to look back. And I'm like, is they coming? Is they coming? He like, no, nah, we good. Whole time they coming, though. Yeah. <laughs> so they pull up. And by the time they pull up behind me, we get to an intersection. Literally, officers come from all directions, from in front, both sides of the streets, and then now from behind us. So they bounce out on us. And, you know, they're yelling at us to get down, get down. I'm playing stupid. What's going on? All that type of stuff. And um, I, I was, at that point, I was terrified. Like, I thought I was going to die. Um like the the Stockton Police Department just killed my little cousin James Rivera shot him like 17 times a day before his 16th birthday so I I, I just thought I was next and I mm-hmm. remember them looking around and um they had like the gun on me and the, the police officer put his knee on my back and like pressed the gun all in the back of my head and he was like if you move I'm gonna kill you then he whispered in my ear I'm gonna kill you so I'm like oh it's over and I remember just looking and like they all looking around like they trying to get away with something like they all got this real scandalous smirkish look on their face looking around looking to, to see,
2: see who watching.
0: Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I remember one was saying like, you ready? You ready? Hurry up. You ready? So I'm like, oh, it's over. I'm going to die right now. But he ended up just putting the cuffs on me and stuff like that. They, they cooperated, showed him where the gun was at and everything like that and ended up going to the hospital, getting identified by the victim as well as getting identified by, like, seven other people. Again, it was ridiculous, hella stupid, yeah. broad daylight, uh-huh. and ultimately um, ended up getting sentenced to 10 years with two strikes. That's prison. how it happened.
2: Wow. And yeah, you're lucky you're still here to tell the story. Absolutely. Right? And I, I just find it, um, thank you for sharing that, Definitely. Um, number one, and uh, thank you for doing the work to get to the point where you could talk about this and see the error of your ways because that same mentality, as you know, it ain't new. Necessarily, it ain't unique to you. Right. You know, it's a lot of people out there. I think what happens is we reach a place of almost insanity. Absolutely. Right? Like you're running around insane. You're smart as fuck. You're clever. You're witty. You know, you got intuition. You know, that intuition is power. You know, you know how to commit a caper, to commit a crime, man. It's not easy. Absolutely. You know, and to get away with it consistently. So that even gives you a false sense of power. But do you ever reflect on how? You feared for your life when a gun was pointed at your head by the police officers, but you didn't care about the other person's life at that stage in your life when you pointed a gun at the head of that victim.
0: Absolutely. it, it, it is, It's very, very disheartening for me. Um, I, I, I recall, like, I, I felt like when I started, I guess, to get a conscience, when I started to really develop remorse, mm-hmm. a lot of the stuff that I did, like, kind of came all at once. It was like the floodgates was open and I cried like a baby. I I I felt so terrible because all those things that I stuffed down and became numb to, uh, I just felt it all at once. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And I I I reflect on that still to this day heavily. Like, I can't believe I was doing the very thing that I'm trying to prevent now. You know what I mean? On so many different levels and I, I know what that felt like. That wasn't the first time I had a gun on me by the police. That yeah. wasn't the first time I had a gun on me. Period. You know what I mean? Like I've never been robbed, but like I've been, I've experienced shootouts and those type of things. You know what I mean? So like, even then, during those times, wasn't able to make that correlation. Like I hated the way that made me feel. Why would I make somebody else feel mm-hmm. like that? Mm-hmm. And yeah, but I. But to answer your question more directly, absolutely, I definitely. Like had that thought process later on in life and made those correlations.
2: Yeah. When did you um
0: when did you feel like you deserve to be forgiven? Honestly, and and just being all the way real, I I don't feel like I deserve to be forgiven. I, I've done a I've done a lot and now that I'm remorseful, I don't feel like I've done enough for the people that are harmed to be forgiven by them. Mm-hmm. Now, if I and, and unfortunately, like the way the current system in California is structured, like you can't you can't interact with your victims of your crime. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? So I, I I couldn't express my remorse to the man that I shot. And then a lot of the other people that are harmed, I didn't know I was uh-huh. doing a lot of like random acts of violence. And, and prime example, like the victim of my crime uh, from this case, I, I didn't know that man. You know what I mean? So I, I didn't have necessarily an opportunity to to do an act to be redeemed you know what i mean to give that opportunity to be forgiven mm-hmm. so i don't feel like i am deserving of that until i do something that correctify that
2: okay until that's a good word until Absolutely. all right so um because i think uh, in my opinion we all earn the right um to be forgiven you know um redemption you know depending on the work Uh, that you put in, like the work you're putting in now. There's a lot of folks I know uh, close and dear to my heart. Uh, And then folks I just know that gone through similar circumstances and had to work that out mentally and emotionally and spiritually to break out of that matrix, that film, that whatever that world is that made you think you was living right, right? Um, But it ain't easy. It's it's almost like I, I remember uh doing some coverage for MTV, and we were, when they did, um, the, when we went to Iraq for shock and awe, right? Uh, the, comp, the country uh, wanted to go in Iraq, said they had weapons of mass destruction, so on and so forth. A lot of people uh, ended up, young people ended up going over to Iraq, uh, going on these tours and coming back. And I remember interviewing them, like, about their experience and the whole nine. I realized, yo, these folks need help. Definitely. They don't need to be in front of cameras at MTV talking about their experience. They need therapy. They need hospitalization. They need time away, For
0: you really? know, in
2: order to correct whatever happened to them over there that had them in the frame of mind that they were in. Process I feel this. Yeah, right. So the process is So even when you come from the streets and you come from a life of crime and a mentality that that easily allows you to point a gun at somebody and pull a trigger. That just doesn't go away. Like so, but it can be rectified. How did that process work for you? How did you start to thaw out and become the person you are now? Because I know it's somebody who's listening that's probably transitioning from that lifestyle to want to live a proper civilian lifestyle. What kind of things did you do? What kind of steps did you take?
0: Uh, first and foremost I, I had to be real With myself Right uh-huh. And take accountability Like what I did Wasn't right And there's no excuses for it Now there may be reasons But that don't excuse the action Let me also say I was fortunate enough to have a healthy support system that was able to help me with that process and and plant some seeds in me. You know what I mean? And show me that I needed to be accountable and can't make no excuses. Cause again, it's a difference in my opinion between reasons and excuses. Mm -hmm. The reasons of my actions don't excuse the behaviors. You Mm -hmm. feel what I'm saying? So once I began to really like realize that I had to start taking accountability and from that accountability, that's when I started like changing my walk. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? to, no longer continued those type of behaviors. No longer continued that type of belief system. You know what I mean? And I I knew I needed to make some serious alterations to my lifestyles. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't immediate. It wasn't immediate. I still butt my head along the way, for sure, for sure. It wasn't like I just got incarcerated and I'm just good all of a sudden. Like, nah, it wasn't like that. Like, it it really took me to see others doing it first and kind of learn from them and their journey and see how that was applicable to my own. Mm -hmm. You took classes or did you do therapy or what kind of things did you do? To be honest, I facilitated more classes than I participated in. A lot of people just assumed that I took like all these classes because mm-hmm. like I knew what I knew but I got the game from a lot of people that benefit from the classes so again like I always um, was in like an older crowd you know what I mean mm-hmm. even in prison so like the the OGs like really soaking up game from the OGs that really took their role as an OG serious, you mm-hmm. know what I mean and that's one thing that I feel that's lacked in a lot of communities even in prison you know what I mean like My generation and under my generation, like, we we don't care enough to listen. Yeah. You feel what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So that can be very frustrating for a teacher. Somebody trying to teach you something and give you some game, but you being hard-headed not listening, that'll make somebody throw their hands up and be like, well, forget it then. That's on you. Go bump your head then. Mm -hmm. You feel what I'm saying? And I I didn't want that to be me at some point. You know what I mean? So I I was actually listening and soaking up the game. Uh, But I I didn't do too many classes. I was, like, facilitating the classes.
2: I got two more questions for him, Chris. I'll see you over there them. I'm going to ask you one too.
0: <laughs> um, um, when,
2: when, when, can you remember when you had that aha moment of, oh, I got to change this shit? Like, Juvenile hall. I,
0: I, I would say the aha moment for me when it really hit me, like I'm, I'm quite literally throwing my life away, is when I got sentenced. When I got sentenced to 10 years with two strikes and I really understood what two strikes meant. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, if I was to do, could commit a crime and get one more felony, that's twenty. That's a minimum of twenty five years to life. I never go home. That, yeah. That's how it was in my mind. Even not having life, I didn't feel like I was ever gonna go home. Like I really adopted the mentality of a lifer. Like I didn't. I. I, I swear. I remember trying to reflect on what it felt like to be free again, and that feeling was completely gone. Like all I wow. remembered and felt was just what it was like to be in prison. So when I first. When I first began my journey of incarceration, getting sentenced, I remember going back to my cell, and I wrote a song called The Story, and it it broke down everything that I told you, Uh you know what I mean, but just in music form, and I remember, like, being on the verge of tears. I was almost finna cry, like, man, I I gotta do something about this, because if I mess up and continue this, that's life. Uh Like, it's over. You know what I mean? So that's when that care really started to happen.
2: Yeah. you You, um... And that's great, man, that you had that aha moment, uh, because it obviously led you to where you are now. You're walking in greatness, uh, but still a work in progress. When you started this conversation to you, success was, you know, the guys with the big cars, the guys that got all the attention, probably had the jewelry. Uh, they had the power. That was success to you. So that's what allured you in. That's what appealed to you. That was then.
0: Right.
2: Now, when you think about success, what does success look like for you today?
0: Oh, man, my viewpoints on success alter tremendously. I'm going to be honest. In, in, in a nutshell, just to be like in simple terms, I view success as happiness. Yeah. If you happy, you successful. It's not a, a monetary value. It ain't your accolades. You could be, in my opinion, you could be a homeless person under a bridge. But if you're not content, you're not settling with that, you're actually genuinely happy. To me, you successful. Yeah. That, that That's just my own personal definition. It's based off happiness, like genuine, true happiness.
2: There you go. Sometimes it's that simple, right? Less equals more.
0: Like Sid I, Arthur. There, you know what I mean? He on. gave up a whole kingdom mm-hmm. to, to, to get on his Buddha hype. That's success to me. Yeah. You feel what I'm saying? I go sit under that tree for however long. You know what I'm saying? To me, that's success.
2: As long as you're happy, man. I'm glad you have arrived to where you are today. And I know it's still a work in progress for you, but you, your story is... Um, it's going to help a lot of other people uh, find their way. So and that's a part of you giving back, rectifying, I would imagine, for some of the things you've done in the past. But Absolutely. none of us perfect. We've all done something right one way or another. We've Absolutely. all done something, man. So the fact that you, you're, you're moving in this direction, man, is a blessing. Chris, what was it about E that made that attracted you to him that made you want to make him give him this pivotal part in the last mile? well it's because you, know, you meet a lot of people, yeah, who've done a lot of
1: things well, you know uh, the story is phenomenal and, th- and thanks for going through that it's yeah. amazing, and you know I know the story and and for him to to go into detail and talk about that is is really being transparent mm-hmm. you know I think part of it is the heart you know he is is turned into a phenomenal artist, musician, and very talented guy. And he's really created a passion around that. And I think the success that we've had within the last mile is based on passion.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And when E and I met, um, I wasn't even planning on doing this. You know, it was we were really looking at doing, you know, the show and E was hired to be a host. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we started talking and we were talking uh, on Zoom. And one day I just recorded our conversation And we went on for about an hour. Remember the scene? Yeah. And I sent it to our lovely producer, Liz, Mm -hmm. and she said, this is the show. Because we had such a deep conversation, and I could feel that passion through the computer, literally. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it's it's an unusual, uh, you know— combination combination yeah, yeah but it works it's yeah. funny because we said we're gonna have some really great conversations because we have such um you know opposing views which mm-hmm. is right. not true we actually, <laughs> we're trying to find you know he said well maybe it's hot dogs and hamburgers well we both like hamburgers so okay. well then, uh, we can
0: find nothing to disagree on yeah 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 we'll find it in the next break <laughs> we, will, got we will we'll find it <laughs> absolutely absolutely it's getting real it's getting real but we got to pay some bills it's going down so we're gonna go on a quick little break you tuned in right now to the last mile radio right here on Sirius XM stay tuned Yes, yes, yes. And we are back. We are back right here on the Last Mile Radio on Sirius XM. Triumph Channel 111 is going down. It's going down.
1: Wow, that was uh, thank you for doing that in the last segment. That was that was
2: really awesome. Yeah, man, thank you for being open and honest. And um, uh, man, I love this. Man, I love what y'all got going on, man. At wow. First, it was um, Laurel and Hardy, and then <laughs>
0: <laughs> now it's Chris and E. Chris and E. It's going
1: down, man. <laughs> but, but but you asked me right before we 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 left the break. You asked me sort of why yeah why E why this and I was talking about passion. Uh And not only is he sort of dedicated to, you know, his mission moving forward, but he's really found a passion around music, you know, and that's something that, you know, um, when you're in prison, you know, our experience obviously is teaching skills in prison and people become passionate around that. But it can be coding. It can be, you know, a lot of things. But there's a lot of passionate music in prison okay, and a lot of production and music. San Quentin's one of those unique places, again, where you get you have some of the tools to produce. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I appreciated about E as well. Like, he is so dedicated to his craft.
2: Yeah, man. So um, how, how involved are you with the music components of The
0: Last Mile?
1: Um,
0: so— I actually created the theme songs. I created the theme songs from the production. I produced the beat, recorded it myself, you know what I mean? Did all that. Yeah, man. So I would say that's my involvement. More music to come, for sure, for sure. I'm also an audio engineer and sound designer um, for a podcast called Uncuffed that's uh, produced out of San Quentin State Prison as well as Solano's.
2: Okay, who's your go-to artist right now? Who's your favorite artist?
0: I just actually got off somebody kind of new, man, named Upstairs. Upstairs? Dude going crazy, an R&B artist going nuts.
2: What about M? MC's, who's your favorite rapper? J. Cole. Okay, so Chris, who's your favorite rapper? MC Hammer. Okay, that's what y'all do. See, now y'all found your contrast. <laughs> uh,
0: right, right. Right? Okay, okay. But, I mean, but I, I mess with Hammer, though. <laughs>
1: if I, I didn't say Hammer, that, I'd be in big trouble. Nah, Hammer's incredible. <laughs> I, He's I can't, an icon. I
0: can't say I don't like Hammer, though. So, but he ain't my favorite, though. No, yeah. Not knocking him, but Cole definitely my J. favorite. J. Cole.
1: You no, know, it's a generational See, this thing. is a
2: generational yeah, difference, yeah, yeah. right? It's <laughs> a generational difference. Uh, well, that's great, man. Uh, congratulations. J. Cole's a great voice. Very grounded, you know, ill MC, skill set, I give him a 10.
0: First and foremost, let me say this. When it comes to telling your story, I don't feel like nobody's truth is greater than the next. That's one of the beautiful things about hip-hop, right? Uh It's, It's really just composing... Uh, your truth for real for real however when it comes to the creativity the delivery i feel like cats like cole kendrick drake you know what i mean like to me that's like right now like the pinnacle of hip-hop for real for real that's the top of the tops
2: okay my last question is: since you uh said nobody's truth is more important than the others and that kind of how you weigh out how you like mcs right if you were to write a song about this man's truth since you known him Mm -hmm. what would you touch on
0: i touch up on a lot, for sure, for sure. I definitely would touch up on being dedicated. Mm-hmm. I would definitely touch up on being impacted by the human experience, for sure. Because, again, as you know, before going to San Quentin and things like that, that was very different from your lifestyle, you that's know right. what I mean? So being impacted by the human experience, but diving deep into that and really wanting to empower our voices and becoming a part of this community, you know what I mean? That That's the type of stuff that I would paint a picture of, for sure.
2: That's for sure, man. Hey, man, I had a good time here, Chris. Thank you, good. man. And no, it's absolutely. Good. I mean, for I mean, listen to the listening audience. No food, no water, no no merch. They didn't bring me or give me anything, <laughs> but great conversation, and I still had a good time. Thank you,
1: Chris. But, but, I don't know
0: about the no merch though. I think we got to sweat it for it, right? you, right? We might
1: one? we might have some merch for you. Yeah, you might. Yeah, but it ain't here yet. <laughs> but, but, it, but Sway, this is the first show. You got to earn your way up. I got to earn my way up. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. okay. My bad, <laughs> my bad. My bad. My bad. I'm still working, y'all. <laughs> no, we we really appreciate it too. Absolutely
0: Absolutely Sway, bro Again man Gotta give your flowers bro I'm a firm believer You'll hear me say this all the time presence is priceless man Seriously So thank thank you you so much bro For blessing us with your presence Coming here Dropping these jewels Man you got me digging deep Good You know what I'm saying And I I really really appreciate that bro So again for everything That you've been doing Not only for the community For the culture You know what I mean I gotta give your flowers bro It's well deserved For real Thank you man
2: I appreciate you bro I gotta give you your flowers Now you a beacon of light Your motivation your inspiration, you're who you saw me as when you guys were coming up and saying, Man, he out here doing something different, man, that's inspiring. Now you're that for those who are coming up in Oakland now that's walking similar paths parallel to the life you once lived, and they see you out on the other side doing it bigger, you're being greater, and you're doing good for folks, man so I commend you on that, man. keep making your music, make sure it's tight, make sure it's original, make sure it's authentically you uh, and keep this up right here it's going to keep this is only the beginning, bro it's only the beginning Absolutely. wait till you see the karma, the energy that comes from when you're putting good in the universe right woo.
0: It's real. Hey, man. This is a byproduct of that. It's a byproduct. It come it's, on. Absolutely. That's
2: what happens, man. If, if, when you feed the universe, you're going to get it right back. It's reciprocity. Absolutely. That's what I live by.
0: And, and thank you for that as absolutely.
2: well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you, Chris. Thank
1: you, Sway. <laughs> We're still family. We're still working on being real family, but but, but thank you. Yes, no problem
0: absolutely absolutely it's going down it's going down and thank you to you who tuned in and spent this time with us again presence is priceless presence is priceless so thank you for vibing out with us and we would love to hear from you so reach out to us at thelastmileradio.org
1: and remember you can always listen to previous episodes of this show and any show anytime through the Sirius XM app for real. And I'm Maserati E. I'm Chris Redlitz. No, Please. Sway <laughs> and I'm yeah,
0: Calloway. we got Sway in the building. It's real. Please join us next time on The Last Mile Radio.
1: On Sirius XM. Yeah. I, I've been on a journey for a while. Finally I see the last mile. I've been on a
0: journey for a while. Finally, I see the last mile, I'm paving the road to success, Hey, I'm paving the road to the best, wait, I'm paving the road to success, ayy, I'm paving the road to the best, wait, no lie, to the best way, to increase the success rate, we define odds against us even when it's unexpected, changing the world by changing the way we view the world, it's all perspective,